Hello, my name is Ben. And my name is Cheyenne. And we are the hosts of the Too Vague Podcast this week. So, how are you doing, Cheyenne? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm enjoying a lovely Friday. Yeah. Uh, anything exciting going on? Uh, just decorating my apartment. I bought a vacuum today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. nice. That's not a decoration. It's more of like a cleaning tool. But yeah. One of the things that I used to always say when I worked at the coffee shop and they were cleaning out the beans is I would wait till someone was using the vacuum cleaner and I would just walk up to him and I go... That sucks. Oh, clever. Yeah. So clever. Very yeah. original. Yeah, I'm sure no one's ever thought of that before. No. We're not talking about vacuum cleaners. That's a different show. Should we do vacuum cleaners? Um, maybe. Very select audience. I think so. I think so. It would be a difficult one to have. Although, talk about uh, Luigi's Mansion. I mean, that's basically what Luigi's got is a vacuum cleaner. You, you have a good point there. Yeah, there are games in there that use and There was a game back in the day called Blinks the Time Sweeper, who mm. was a, a guy who, well, he was a cat, an anthropomorphic cat that would use time powers. He had some sort of a time traveling uh, mechanism on his vacuum cleaner. Wow. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot of games about vacuums. I know several that have tools of the opposite function, like blowing air or water, oh, yeah, like yeah. Super Mario Sunshine. Right, that's a classic water um, water gun thing. Legend of Zelda, Skyward Sword, you get like a leaf blower. Oh, okay. Very unique as a, as a link tool, for right, sure. Right, Leaf blowers, I think the only good thing for them is annoying people in your apartment <laughs> complex, but that's just me. That's anyway, true. we're going to go on and actually talk about uh, our word, but first... It's a segment that we call Questions from My Aunt. Questions from Ben's Aunt. Yes. If you listen to the show and you have a question and you are my aunt, go ahead and send that in and we'll answer it on air. That's great. Isn't that great? I think it's great. I, I, I have one only one aunt that's taken me up on that whole thing. I know. There's I was wondering one. if any of your other aunts ever participated. You know, yeah, I only have one other one, and and she's uh, she is. I don't know her her daughter listens to the show. Maybe maybe we can inspire her to contact her mother and have her call in. Mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. but anyway. So the question was from maybe just all of our shows together. My aunt has an interest in playing games. Now she's. She's uh, she's an older, well, I don't know if I should say she's an older lady, but she is she's older than me. And she uh, has an interest in, in trying some of the games that we've been talking about on air, like Hitman and I mentioned Psychonauts. She said the story sounded great. It sounds like she's a story-centric person who wants to be told an interactive story of sorts. So her question is, what is a good system that I should start out with? Can I play on a PC or... What should I start out on? I think that's a great approach to um, beginning gaming. You know, I also love interactive story games. Mm -hmm. Some of my favorite stuff. And I would definitely recommend Nintendo Switch. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of great games on there that are super accessible. Some of my favorites are Animal Crossing, Stardew Valley. Those are quote unquote sandbox type games that we discussed previously. They're a little bit more about building and and customizing your own worlds. And expressing yourself and that way. And expressing yourself, yeah. exactly. But, like, yeah. 
Do you have any other games that you like the story on? Because those, those, you know, like Stardew Valley and Animal Crossing, those are games that you're basically creating your own story, right? right. It's not like there is actually a story being told to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is a great Nintendo Switch classic. Yeah. And it's definitely got a storyline. It is open to a little bit of exploration. It's more of like a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. But there's a great storyline to that. Right. They also have a lot of the Mario games on there. Um, they have the Bioshock series on oh, there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, which I have not personally played, but I've been told it's a great interactive RPG. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a classic. It's a classic. Yeah. Definitely worth playing. And then also before that, one of my buddies, Graham, he is a huge fan of the precursor to that, which was called System Shock. And he has been giving money to one of these crowdfunding sort of things. And he's like one of the first people who's going to get the, you know, the system shock when it comes out. But it's it's just basically a remake of the original, which is like from an old VGA bygone era. Oh, that's neat. So, so your suggestion is that. I do think the Switch is great for learning, but PC gaming is very fun. I do a lot of PC gaming, right? but we were talking earlier about how it can sometimes be prohibitive. Yes. My thing with PC games, which I used to play all the time. I was a big fan. I had a a laptop. I would go to the coffee shop and just play games on my laptop. That's how I actually, that was the first, how I first played Psychonauts had a xbox 360 controller connected to it wirelessly and it was great but the problem with pc games one you're not going to get your your titles like mario stuff on there because they're all nintendo keeps a pretty tight grip on their own properties yeah. so you're not getting any you know luigi's mansion super mario sunshine pokemon any of those things and no, I, they have their, their proprietary rights, and right. they are enforcing them. Yes. The one thing is proprietary games. The second thing for me is troubleshooting. There is such a wealth. You, you've got such a variety of PC games. There's probably, there are probably more PC games out there than any other game system just because you can upgrade the PC as you move forward. The problem with that is, as you make those jumps in technology, that doesn't guarantee that the game is going to work, even in a a mode where you're duplicating the old operating system. It's not always guaranteed that it will work 100% because it's not designed for the current uh, hardware and things. So, I mean, there's always that. And then also, my big problem with PC games is troubleshooting them before i get to play it when i want to play a game i want to play a game it's kind of like my arcade game mentality right i want to go there i want to pick something i want to play it i don't want to have to troubleshoot it for an hour or two i don't want to have to work on getting it installed and then figuring out whether or not it actually works on my system and then tweaking all of my graphics cards and and things like that do you typically go out and buy like a disc format of the games or these days i do not right but back in the day yes i did um and by back in the day i mean when i had my pc i didn't (laughs) i didn't which was probably about 
now going on probably like 10 years ago is the last time I actually had, and, and by PC, I'm not talking Apple. Mac is different than PC. Like yeah. we're talking about portable computing on a PC that has Windows and has a variety of stuff. Macs are consistent, but the problem with that is not everything's designed to work on a Mac. So games, you've got a very low number of games because of the way that they have to go through certification and things through 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 Mac. They are very robust with their choosing what you can and can't produce for their system. Yeah, I do a lot of PC gaming. I have a cyber power PC, uh-huh. and I mainly do digital downloads on that. Yeah. I would say from my experience, it's not too hard to troubleshoot, but I also have a lot of experience it can be it can be a bitch sometimes, yeah. but in general, you if you have um, like a client application like Steam or Origin, right? You there is a lot of easy um, accessible ways to have those try to go in and troubleshoot the game for you. Mm-hmm. They can repair the game by basically verifying your game files, or you can do the classic uninstall, reinstall. But I mean, there are times when sometimes you just don't have the specs for the game that you're right. trying to play. Right. I remember I bought Detroit Become Human on my PC, and it turns out I just don't have the graphics driver for right. it. So, And that's, that's one thing also with something like a storefront like Steam that I think is a problem is the fact that it doesn't tell you. It doesn't do a say, okay, well, here's what your system specs are. Here's what games will run on your system. It doesn't do that. It just sells you whatever. You can buy whatever the heck you want. Right. It doesn't matter whether or not it runs which is a good and a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of They do sometimes have requirements listed yes. in the game information, yes. so But that doesn't limit it from selling it to you if you don't have meet those requirements on your system. No. I'm, what I'm talking about is something that maybe it's like a filter or a pop-up when you try to purchase the game. Correct. Yeah, hey, we detected like that. that your hardware is incompatible. Right. Maybe don't buy this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you're going to get a better computer later, Maybe yeah. that's the reason. I mean, but you know, still don't don't hinder it too much. But right. but at the same time, notify you. Yeah, um, I think that there's definitely something to be said about the complexity, barring as a good bar to enjoying PC gaming because mm-hmm. there's a lot of options, um, and you can really get technical with it. Right. Also, one other option is mobile games. And we're not talking about the Switch. The Switch is one of those animals where it is both a mobile device and a a device that you can put into a dock and then it connects to your television. So you can play it either way, right? Mm -hmm. You can play it on the road or you can play it at home. And as a function of that, the graphics aren't exactly up to the highest standards of consoles, like, you know, the higher end ones. But it's pretty darn good, considering. Yeah, it just depends on what you're really looking to get out of the gaming experience. Yeah. My recommendation is is either a PlayStation or an Xbox. And the only reason it's that is because of the plug-and-play aspect. It's like the game will work. I mean, yes, they there are some some games that get released with bugs, but there's a certification process that's in place for those, and those are probably the main systems that you can get games for consistently. The question becomes, which one do you choose? 
do you have any strong thoughts as far as playstation versus xbox you yeah mean? Uh, my boyfriend has a PlayStation. I like it. I mm-hmm. grew up with an Xbox, right. and I've seen both of them are really similar. Yeah, you've got you know a limited storage, but you can always get an external storage device. Mm-hmm. Um, and the games are pretty reliable. In general, you're not going to run into too many troubles launching them, like you're talking about. Right. Um, so yeah, they're pretty easy, and they do have a good variety of games, which is nice. The space is kind of less of an issue nowadays because the the purchases and i don't know exactly how it works with the new xbox but i know that with the playstation it's like you have a library so you buy the thing it's in your library the only way it's not going to be in your library if for some reason it gets delisted which means it's just going to be no longer available but for the most part you can pick and choose which games you have if you're playing something right now that's what i do i just put all the games that i'm focusing on right now and then anything as i stop playing it for whatever reason uninstall it and then that way i still have the license and i can install it whenever i want absolutely getting the higher hard drive probably probably a good idea but i don't think it's 100 percent necessary oh yeah exactly and it all really just depends on how much you want a game so yeah what about what are your thoughts on game pass because pass. something like Game Pass versus... Like a subscription to so where you can download games. Yeah. I think that they're a great option for people who are maybe casually gaming or they're only planning to try a game out. They like to explore lots of new things. I think right. that's a great route to take. Uh, me, I feel like I'm just a very specific type of gamer. Who, right. Like I have these games and the, the franchises that I really love. And so I buy them buy my own copies of them and just play them over and over and mm-hmm. over again. So mm-hmm. I am firmly entrenched in Camp Sony. There was a time when I would buy all the systems, but now I'm in Sony because of the PlayStation exclusives. Th- those seem to be more compelling to me than the Xbox exclusives. And something like Game Pass is great. But if there is a store full of garbage that I have to sort through to figure out what the good stuff is, I'm not going to that store. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's more of a, just the way I, I'm wired, I think. I mean, yeah, you do run the risk of having to wade through a lot of shit games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a lot of good games that have come to Game Pass that are quote unquote free. They call them free, but they're not really free. You're paying for the service, right? Mm, yeah. Um, do you have any uh, stance now? You know, you're you're getting into programming and, and things like that and computer science. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on? And this is not. <laughs> we're 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 kind of. We could probably make a show of it just of this this question alone. <laughs> what are your thoughts on something like Game Pass, where the company will pay you for a game and give you a certain amount of money, and whether it sells or not? is not, you know, they, they, they pay you a certain fixed rate. So if your game is super successful, you just, you know, each additional sale after a certain point, you're losing money per right. per sale. It's kind of a risk versus reward thing you really have to consider. If you're a game developer, obviously, I mean, at least my dream would be to be an independent developer, being right. able to release my own game. But you don't have the tools to market your game a lot of the times. You lose some production value, maybe. Mm-hmm. 
You don't um, have the top of the line equipment because you can't afford it. Whereas something like that, they'll give you an amount of money up front. Yeah, so there's a guaranteed income from that, but right. you know, you might lose some artistic license and mm-hmm. you're definitely going to be making less money overall in the long run. Right. But, you know, can you really on your own produce a game that would be viral or that would, you know, right. what are the reach li- a market that was yeah. expansive enough to support you? What's the likelihood of the, of doing that? Yeah. It's a crapshoot. Yeah. Something gets released at the right time and it becomes super popular. Probably Animal Crossing, I would say, is one of those games that where... That was just a magic moment. Everyone is stuck at home and what do they do? They pick up a Switch, which is the most reasonably priced system out there. Probably like $300 or $200 less than the top-end systems now, yeah? Oh, yeah. So... So we have your recommendation for Nora, which is... uh, Nintendo Switch. And my recommendation for Nora, which is the PlayStation 4, because she has expressed an interest in playing Hitman. And you can play that on the PC. I believe you can also play it on Xbox. But there are a lot of really cool story-based exclusives, like like the Horizon franchise, Uncharted. If you like story-based games, PlayStation's your place. But That's the way to go. That was our long-winded attempt to answer the question. I hope that helped, Nora. There should be a comma there, right? <laughs> I hope that helped. Nora. Nora. Yeah. It works either way. I think it does. I think it does. So, what is our word today? Our word today is context. Excellent. Do you have a question for me about context? What's the context? Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I see what I you don't did have there. a word. I don't have a question for you. Okay. I was I was waiting for you to ask me how I feel about context. And, ah. but you know we can do this anyway. Well, We're, no, it's it's uh, I'm I'm switching things up a little bit. I'm trying to add a little variety. They say variety is the spice of something. Okay. All right. Well, what is the what is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the word context? I think of more of the traditional dictionary definition where things that illuminate the meaning of a thing so whatever whatever the the surroundings or whatever the background or whatever you know supporting details that illuminate whatever you're talking about a character a location somewhere where you are that's what i think of when i think of context and i also think context is very important for narrative in a game so as far as your setting, what the circumstances of, of your situation are, just seeing your character, it's important going forward, but why are they there and what are they yeah, doing what, and what is their motivation? Those are all things that provide context. Yeah, what is the bigger picture? Why does it have meaning? Yeah, I mean, the context of the situation can also provide details about what their big obstacles are and why they behave in a certain way and and things like that. So as far as a storytelling mechanism, context is paramount for establishing that. You can also reveal context throughout a narrative to provide sort of surprises or provide, Right, like unveiling a mystery. Right. The successful integration of context is pretty critical in making a story great or just kind of okay. Exactly. Know the right time to reveal the different elements or mm-hmm. whatever in the story. What are your thoughts? My thoughts on context? Yes. 
I always think of those really zoomed in pictures. Um, <laughs> guess the animal, guess the object. Oh, okay. Um, what's the greater context? So, yeah. so zoomed in sort of things out of context, essentially. Yeah, exactly. I think, I don't know. I guess I just think of context as really the big picture. Okay. Sort of the the setting or the the greater meaning to the individual aspect. Uh-huh. The reveal, the thing, pictures is what you think of in general, but that's part of that. Yeah, is, well, it's just kind of a good illustration yeah, of context. Yeah. You know? Where when, you don't know the details until you pull out. Yeah, right? because until context you, and perspective really go hand in hand. Boom. Exactly. That's true. That's very true. Like field of view is another thing that I would think of when I thought of context. Yeah. The more broad your field of view is, the more details that you have Mm -hmm. on the setting, on the person's thoughts and feelings and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Context can make things more confusing too, I think, and more chaotic. Because if you think about it, if you're really zoomed in on an image of say like a woman you can see the details you can see like her face and like the the color of her jacket but the more you zoom zoom out maybe you see the city that she's in and the street that she's in but there are so many more aspects to the image you know it becomes more confusing and it's harder to pinpoint what what is the narrative right like if you were to zoom in and you see just a woman wearing a winter jacket and as you're pulling out, you pull out and you see a beach scene. Exactly. And then you go, well, what's that all about? And then you pull out even further and you see that the beach scene is actually the set of a movie where they're filming her wearing a jacket on a beach. And then, and then, you, then get, you zoom out even more and you're inside of a snow globe. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, each each different layer I guess. Of context, it adds complexity. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it can make it more interesting, too. Right. You're trying to figure out, well, what's the story here? It's also uh, something that fosters creativity as well. It's like you can come up with your, your own narratives that's not necessar- that isn't necessarily what uh, the author or the artist had anticipated in the first place. And I think those are also interesting. Is there like a meme or a thing where it's like video game images out of context or movie images out of context all sorts of them all sorts of them yeah what do you do on social media not a whole lot yeah i do like to go on twitter just for funny short quips um i like to go on reddit because of the specificity of all the subreddits oh yeah, yeah. yeah yeah do you ever find that reddit is too much recycled garbage there's recycled garbage and just a place where everyone can just complain about stuff but that's pretty much social media yeah i'd say it's less garbage than facebook at least in terms of content yeah but every app has its own special aspect i mean facebook is really just about being connected with people in your life right exactly Um, although it was misused initially where people were trying to right where they were trying to accumulate friends oh yeah which also has its benefits because you have a broader audience but at the same time i think the design and what it became were two different things. Yeah, as which, so often happens. Yeah, I was going to say there, there are probably many, many examples of that throughout history with technology and things that have been developed where they were developed for one purpose but have been used for another. Yeah, it's interesting too how different apps maybe 
groundbreaking apps kind of change those older apps too. What I'm thinking of is Snapchat has this really novel feature. I guess it was novel when it came out, but really you're just sending quick images and you can post like a story, you right. know, and um, it's just an image with some text overlaid. And then apps like Instagram provided the feature to have a story. And now right. I feel like that's all any. That's pretty much, that's pretty much what everyone does is it's they just standard, yeah. upload photos to their story. <laughs> it's still not something that I do a whole lot because I'm used to the old fashioned way where you, you know, make a post on your page of an image or, or whatever. So that's what I'm used to. I'm definitely more used to the old fashioned way of social media where you have your 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 profile mm. and that's where you post your content and now it's more like you have a, a story which is kind of attached to your profile but it's like the it's like the flag that you use to get people's attention right you know? right and it's also there's a lot of that stuff in instagram too where people post their different frames where they say or record different things right. or post or, their or reels memes i'm not even sure what a what an instagram reel is and i'm i should know i'm 25 <laughs> But I really don't. You should know. I You're should 25. know. Yep. <laughs> I should ask people questions about social media and then say, you should know. You're 25. You're at least 25. I mean, I, I have an excuse. I'm double your age. <laughs> when I see something like Reddit, there are some cool stuff that you can find as far as factual things too or people's experiences with things. But the problem with that is also... That it's sometimes it just turns into a big complaint fest and everyone piles on. But I think I don't think that's just Reddit. That's all social media, right? I mean, that's the internet at large. My illustration, I guess, of what it is, is like if you see someone walking around the street just yelling their opinions, you know, yelling something like the end is near, the end is near. It's analogous to that. That doesn't tell me anything about why or why you feel that way or any of the sporting context. Yeah, it's interesting how the context in that example really showcases why the internet makes that sort of thing acceptable versus it not being acceptable in real life. Right. It's like, oh, I'm just I'm just expressing myself. And it's like, well, if you were to express yourself in that way in real life, I think there might be some problems with that. But Yeah, you get a lot of people giving you the side eye and... Yeah. trying to ignore you and go about their day being uncomfortable I, that's why the internet makes it more acceptable because you get to pick and choose what yeah. you get to participate in so right. if There's somebody is ragging on something and somebody else who also hates that thing joins in like then pretty soon you just got a whole group of people yeah shouting about the same thing in real life there are more consequences for your mo for a mob mentality than there are on the internet exactly at least, you know, I think companies are trying to become more aware of that. Do you think they're trying to change the kind of, um, what do they call that, echo chamber quality of the internet or no? By they, do you mean the social media companies? Yeah, like social media companies. Uh, um, you know what? I don't think that it's necessarily in their best interest, right? Exactly. I think they're kind of half-assing it. They're trying to appeal to the, their entire audience. So some people want these tools to be able to manage that kind of thing but some people don't they just want to say their opinions and just be done with it right? right so so yeah i think one of the things with these algorithms on on these that determine what sort of advertisements they feed you and things like that right 
sometimes you question why you're being fed an ad, but sometimes you know exactly why you're being fed an ad. It's a very difficult question. It um, is. It's like one of those meaning of life things. It is. It's kind of difficult. Yeah. I think that there was some ethical concern over misinformation being spread on right. social media, especially right. during the last election cycle. Uh-huh. And so that became a problem that social media companies like Facebook had to try and contend with the spread of misinformation and verifying that. But that is different. The problem is it clashes with the purpose of targeting specific audiences Mm -hmm. by using the data that they mine from our accounts. And those two purposes are exactly the opposite of each other. They're they're mutually exclusive because if you have someone who's very fundamental and they and you know there's this content that appeals to them about a specific type of information and maybe that information is not factually correct so then they get angry if they have you know a filter over their content that says what you've just seen is probably misinformation so right. it's a difficult problem that social medias have to contend with yeah this is very true another thing is feeding you things what is stopping a company from feeding you, like if you are liberal and they feed you conservative media to make you angry about about what's happening? I mean, that is a targeted thing, but you don't know where it's coming from. They could be thinking that you're conservative, so you're sending that stuff to you, or they could be using that, weaponizing it and saying, here is conservative viewpoints that we're going to send you because we know that you're going to respond by yeah you know like a knee-jerk reaction that's some social psychology right there yeah Um, yeah. i would say off the top of my head though i don't know a whole lot about it yeah i would say that the biggest thing they're trying to prevent is people not using their app so obviously people want to see information that they agree with when they're on the internet and so they're more likely to use an app um an information giving app like reddit if well, I guess I don't know if Reddit necessarily has an algorithm that feeds you content based on that sort of data. Yeah, I don't think Reddit lo- is, no, right? It's more a like a bulletin is, board sort of exactly, thing. Exactly. It's the it's the topics you follow. But right. um TikTok is a good example of an algorithm based app. And I don't think people would want to use TikTok if they were every day confronted by opinions that they did not agree with. Right. So it's more right. about spoon feeding you what you want to hear. Right. You're very right with it depends on what the focus of the the app is something like TikTok. it's like bite-sized little morsels that are supposed to inspire you to click participate well yeah click and scroll but also participate thus making the pool bigger and kind of you know fleshing out that sort of um i guess form of entertainment Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean you know i understand expressing yourself but you don't have to be an asshole Oh yeah, um, but I mean the internet is just the 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 breeding ground of assholes. Well, so. I think that's the problem, right? The lack of consequences. How I handle someone who, if I make a comment and they start trolling me or start you know bitching about me, I just block them. That's all I do. I block them and I say, you know what? That's it. Have I mean, a nice you, life. Yeah, exactly. See you next Tuesday. If there's if there's something where they're saying something and it's constructive then I will engage. But if, you know, they say something, I'm just going to block them and just move on. I haven't blocked that many people. (laughs) 
do you ever get trolled or, or anything like that where someone's obviously trying to needle you into saying no, something? You know, I don't participate in the internet enough for that to happen. Okay. Okay. The view contexts I have seen it in is, you know, maybe I'll, I'll post a comment on something political. Right. Um, and somebody who has a disagreeing opinion with me will be like, oh, well, you're just stupid. Obviously, you would think that, you know, right. you're 25. Right. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's like, that's great. That's a situation where I say black. If I yeah. if there's someone saying, this is what I believe, here's my opinion, and, and they're not attacking me directly, they can have their opinion. That's fine. A former boss of mine who I got along well with in the work environment and had no idea where she was politically. Completely opposite of what I think. And I disagree with a lot of what she says. But then I post my cat pics and my cat stories or whatever. And she's like, oh, you you know. So cute. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you got to be selective. And if if someone's respectful of, of my opinions and my thoughts, even if they believe something completely opposite, Generally, I don't block them, but right. they're, they're, they're you know they're varying degrees of this, right? Exactly. I mean, there's no reason to completely sh- surround yourself by people who only think the exact same as you. And in fact, that's boring. And it's actually bad for critical thinking. Definitely. I think we're gonna. I, I think we've been thinking critically for quite some time here. Maybe we should think less critically. Less critically. Yeah. No, I think we should continue to think critically. That makes it more interesting comments taken out of context this kind of fits in with what we were talking about with social media exactly um comments taken out of context can lead to comedy discomfort or misunderstandings that's what i wrote down as my kind of like thought right definitely discomfort that makes me just think of like a professional environment yeah people trying to reconcile different views and even making passive aggressive comments on purpose. But um, yeah, comments taken out of context can lead to discomfort. You know for what? Sure. My least favorite thing where someone says something to kind of provoke a response and then they say, I'm just joking. I'm just kidding, though. Yeah. That drives me up a friggin' wall. To me, that's the biggest friggin' cop out in the world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They say something hurtful and they go, oh, no, no, I was just kidding. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a comment out of context, though. That's that's that c- like passive aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that it all depends. It can be just a comment out of context to provoke a reaction. But, um, but a reasonable person would be able to say, no, 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 yeah. no this is what I meant, as opposed to, no, I was right. just kidding. I would say I've dealt with this um, in a professional environment before as as a leader, you know, as a manager, I'll have conversations with other people that are private, but still like it's a big building and other people can hear snippets here and there. And so I've been. Oh, yeah. Hearsay. Yeah. I've been confronted before by people who say, I heard you talking about me like were you talking shit? And I'm like, no, I, you have no idea what we were talking about. And you should probably talk to me about it first alone. If you think that there's something going on, because otherwise you're kind of, you're making a fool out of yourself. Come on. That's the thing too. It's only going to make you more stressed out, right? You don't know the full story. And I think still we as human beings can pick up 
we're pretty good at picking up uh, nonverbal cues when it comes to someone who's 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 being sincere or not. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that you confront someone and say, hey, this is what I heard. What is, you know, what can you explain to me what it is? And then you can make your own decision based on how they respond in a reasonable sort of way instead of attacking them, which is more likely to provoke a... a An angered response yeah, or a misunderstanding exactly. between exactly. two people. And, and that's not something that as a young pe- person, you know, back when I was a young person... <laughs> um, you know, like Tuesday. <laughs> you know, that's something you learn through life that's like you're creating a lot more stress for yourself if you hear something and you don't fully understand the context. Yeah. Why was it said? Who was it said to? What reason was there? I mean, even even someone saying to me, you know, you overhear someone saying talking shit about you and then you walk up to him and you're like, hey, what's, what was what was that all about? And he's like, oh, yeah, they were just saying that. So I just kind of like was going along with the conversation. And, you know, I, you, know you know, I don't believe that. It's just kind of like, you know, uh, it's yes. deceptive, right? That is deceptive. But, but, I mean, it's it could or could not be a reasonable thing based on who that person is, based on the context of the situation. Yeah. Generally, I, anyone who's two-faced with me, it's kind of like, uh Exactly. You know, if I guess if you're a really empathetic person, you might be okay with somebody admitting to that. But I think that a really reasonable thing to do would be to stop somebody who's shit-talking. Yeah. You know, especially somebody that you respect and care about. Right, exactly. Um, which, I mean, that kind of derails the conversation a little bit. But right. But yeah, it's, it's all how, it's all how you deliver that feedback, though. I think yeah, is is that kind of like you can you can deliver it in such a way. It's like, listen, you know what? I didn't appreciate that. It made me feel this way, and um, I'm going to have a hard time not looking the other way if this happens again. So just keep that in mind, right? And and do with it what you want. We're trying to protect ourselves from bad situations, and and sometimes that's a red flag when someone is you know saying something and not considering your feelings or, right. or whatever. Do you have any thoughts on comments taken out of context, stories, anything like that? No, I mean, I already shared my story about yeah. comments taken out of context. Okay. I also like the idea of con- context clues, though. Oh, okay. Like, um, use, you've heard the expression context clues. Correct. Am I right? I feel yeah. like I've... Seen it a lot in writing, especially that's, literature. That's Blue's Clues' cousin. <laughs> yes. Is that, that that's, that's who exactly, that is, that's right? Who, that's who that is, Context Clues. Yeah. Um, the older cousin. Yeah. Was, um, you know, kind of estranged from the family. Yeah, he, he wears overalls. <laughs> Nobody likes context. No one's like, <laughs> uh, silly yeah, context. Context Clues um, is like when you don't understand a situation, but you... Use whatever you can find to kind of piece t- piece it together. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you could use it a lot in murder mysteries, right? Um, escape rooms, escape rooms. You got to use your context clues. Like, what details are there that I can pick out and that I can use to form a bigger picture? Yeah. What connections can I make between two different ideas? Right, right. Context clues are interesting. Yeah, well, they're 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 the key to solving mysteries. Exactly, the mystery of life. The mystery of everything. Right. Um, 
it's a great critical thinking tool. Yeah. I'm I'm talking a lot about critical thinking because I'm taking a class on it right now. What is the class? What is the proficiency that it is? Like, what is it? The three letter code and and is it is it like psychology? Is it something for? Oh. Like what is what what is the class? It's actually an EGR. It's engineering um, because Interesting. it's critical thinking and inquiry in engineering, and uh-huh. it's all about training yourself to be a better thinker. Okay. I'm reading this book called The Thinker's Guide to Engineering Thinking, or something redundant like that. But uh, <laughs> there's a lot the of Thinker's Guide to Thinking about the title for your book involving thinking. Precisely. Version two. <laughs> V two. Volume 11. Um, it's really an interesting class. Yeah, it all sounds about interesting. Learning how to critique your own thinking mm-hmm. and stopping to make sure you have clarity, accuracy, precision, depth, breadth, fair mindedness. Those are not all of them. So right. I'm sure I'll get a B this semester. But. <laughs> It's not a traditional engineering course. Oh, no. It, it's something that I think that one of those things that provides balance um, to any kind of coursework that a lot of times you just focus on the science and the math and whatever. And I, you don't always have these things that give you a more broad perspective. I do like the technical classes uh, because I feel like I'm really like getting what I paid for as far as my degree. Right. But um, it is nice to take a step back, and especially with this class, which is so much about metacognition okay, um, or okay, thinking hold on, about hold thinking. On. What, meta, metacognition. Yeah, so cognition is thinking, and then metacognition is thinking about thinking. Yeah, now that I think about it, that's fa- that that made perfect sense. I don't know why I asked that silly question. Oh, that's okay. I mean, it definitely it helps for the listeners, right? Right, Nora. Yeah. She probably knew what metacognition was. Yeah. She's a smart cookie. But it's interesting to kind of assess every situation and put your ideas and perspectives into context, right. so to speak. Right. Um, that's a lot of what this class is about, is about considering the perspectives of your stakeholders, mm-hmm. um, considering the perspective of different people, um, points of view who are going to be working on an engineering project. Right. You know, you want to talk to... Your mechanics, you want to talk to the stakeholders, right. you want to consider what the public is going to think, mm-hmm. um, or the government, or whatever. So right. there's right. always a larger context to consider. Software development is is a big sort of thing where you know you can put out a piece of software designed to do something, but unless you consult people, it's like, how are you going to use this software, and how are you going to manipulate and what do you want to you know what do you want something that does this to do for you above and beyond you need those pieces that provide the context of what situations it's going to be used in and how it's going to be used and where and in order to design a piece of software that is beneficial um you know and then also to design a piece of software that does what it's designed to do and doesn't do things above and beyond. In software development, we call it gold plating, where you just throw in features to throw in features, right? Right. You you you're like, oh, okay, so it slices it dices. We want it to Julienne too, so we'll yeah. just throw that in there, even though most people who buy it aren't going to want to Julienne anything. 
No, exactly. It's um, is that a dumb? That's a dumb, obtuse sort of example. But you know what I no, mean. No, I, like, I think it's actually very accurate. Yeah. And uh, that's another thing that my class has been talking about. You know, precision, um, taking out anything that you don't need. Yeah, extraneous, extraneous stuff. I mean, it makes yeah. it more complicated. It makes it less relevant. Um, what do you mean? Having features that do not support your main primary purpose. Correct. Yeah. It is exactly. It, it takes away from the relevance of your project. Right. It also it also distracts too. Yeah. It's like, oh hey, look at this shiny bell and whistle over here, but it's like I'm not gonna use that. It's impressive. Yeah. Marketing wants it, but what does it do for the yeah. product? If something is obsolete, why do we want it? Like right. when I walk through the grocery store and I see a bagel holder or a banana clip. I'm like, why? <laughs> so we don't want to have bagel holders and banana clips in our software. Right. That's another thing, too, is also maintaining that balance where you have marketing involved, right? Marketing says that we've got this survey that says most people like this thing, so we want to put this thing into the product. But if you if you test it with with actual users – and that's not what they're saying, well, then you're kind of at odds with marketing because marketing says you have to put this thing in there. Right. It's not that's always... That's why it's always a, a compromise. That's what it should be. There should be things like design specs and, and documents that detail all these things and where you got this information to provide the context for, oh, yeah. the, for the design. But that's not always what happens. Unfortunately. Yeah. And that's what leads to bad bad software, bad engineering, whatever. Bad journalism. Okay. <laughs> so bad journalism. Yes, bad journalism. You you poked the bear, mm. Cheyenne. I gave you a little bit of a, a kind of a heads up on this. My stepmom sent me an article from the paper <laughs> which you asked, do people still read papers? And there's your answer. I gave you a newspaper clipping. And you know what? I kind of went into this by saying bad journalism. I'm not judging. You know, what What I think of, like, if I say the words bad journalism to you, do you, what do you think of? Poorly researched journalism. Correct. That's what I think of too. Or facts taken out of context. Things being said about, you know, like data that could go one of any number of ways yeah, depending like on bad data extrapolation. Right, right. Is that something that you you covered in this class or is Oh that... yeah, it's all about decision quality information and yeah. um, pulling information and conclusions from data that are sound, accurate, logical. So yeah, bad journalism is essentially just uh, cherry picking data, cherry right. picking information and putting it in your article to support your point of view. Right. Or support the public's point of view, right? Right. Another thing is you want people to click on or read your article. So therefore, you're going to put it stuff in there that is going to cause people to read your article. Part of the problem being you've got your title which isn't always what the article is about. I think you're thinking of clickbait. Exactly. But what was it called in, in back in the day? It wasn't we didn't have clickbait, right? Oh, yeah. What we had was... A catchy title. Right. It was just something that was supposed to grab your interest. And that's probably the um, origin of cr clickbait was 
how do we get people to read this article, right? right. How do we say something in such a way? And, and I don't know about you, but whenever I'm reading something, as soon as I catch wind that I was duped, I stop reading it in right. general. It's just kind of like, oh, this is an article about whatever. And the title says something, something, something. The answer may surprise you or whatever. You know, it's just yeah. like, ugh. Anything that tries so hard to get people to read it, I immediately am not interested yeah. in. I don't know if I should give you the author's background first or not. <laughs> to but provide I mean, the context. Well, yeah. I read this article and I had sort of a response to it. And my response was I was thinking critically about it. And the reason I was thinking critically about it, I like to attribute to a class I had in high school, which was a class on journalism. And one of the assignments that our uh, teacher, Mr. Thiel, provided basically an assignment, bring in a newspaper article, clip out the article, and we're going to read it and then basically discuss the article critical thinking kind of an exercise is what it was, but it, he didn't say that. He said, just bring in an article and then we'll review the articles and see which ones, you know, like are worthwhile or which ones provide you information or eliminate things and which ones are just garbage, you know, right. which I don't think that that wasn't paraphrasing what he said, but it was just basically, it's a critical thinking sort of thing. That's one of the things that colored the way that I look at something that is supposed to provide factual information. If I don't have just straight up data, and then in addition to that data, someone who has a perspective on what that data means, those are two things. Like you have to have the right data, and you also have to have you know, someone or a group of people who have varying perspectives. I, I want, when I see a, a thing of data, I want different perspectives because that can kind of color yeah. my thoughts on whatever, you know, the learning yeah, kind is. Kind of a multi-logical explanation. Right, right. Anyway, this guy, I don't know if I should say his name, Alan Moses, this guy, <laughs> um, <laughs> the author is someone who's been a medical journalist for 20 years having previously reported for Reuters Health and Gannett News. And it's kind of he's kind of an author where other outlets will pick up his stories. So he creates a story and then sends it out. And then something like U.S. News or Architectural Digest or Vanity Fair, or in this case, the Chicago Tribune, pick up the story to publish. A New Yorker born and bred he graduated from McGill University in Montreal, Canada. <laughs> wow. Right. It's like, born in the USA, but educated in Canada. <laughs> this gentleman had an article that was sent to me by my stepmom. Here is the title of the article. One in 20 college students has internet gaming disorder research reveals. So you read that. What do you think of? Yeah, um, I mean, you obviously, are you saying like from my perspective, what yeah, do I think of? Yeah, what, what would you think by just reading that? Bullshit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Any reason specifically for that? I guess off the title, that may be a little unfair. I am biased because I read the article. Right, But right. And um, so am I. I just was like, it seems kind of too specific 
Yeah, me. one in 20 college students has internet gaming disorder. Right. What is internet gaming disorder? Right. Is that something that the public is supposed to know as soon as they look at the title? How do we define it as a disorder? And as I told you about earlier, 30 Helens agree. 30. One, of, one, one of my, and that's a, a uh, from a skit from Kids in the Hall, which is a Canadian sketch comedy program. It's like people saying data to make it sound like they have some sort of, it means something. So anytime in a title where you try and use a tiny piece of data to validate whatever you're dealing with, yeah. that's a big red flag to me. So that's, this whole one in 20, that's one thing where it's like, what yeah. does that mean? That's also kind of a small fraction. Right. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, to me, it's kind of like saying one in 10 serial killers has bread deficiency. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe there's data to support it, but right, right. What, is, is, what is the significance? Was that a grains joke or was that a serial... It goes off of that old joke people used to say, you know, one in five serial killers eats bread before his next kill. But, like, everyone eats bread gotcha. from in every meal. So. I was thinking more from a grains perspective. <laughs> from You were thinking from a grains perspective. Yeah, That's like a serial, serial killer. Like, oh. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, I had three bowls of cereal today. I'm a serial killer. Exactly. Well, it works, it works on several levels. I suppose, yeah. Okay, so with with the article, and we when we took a look at this, the thing that I clued in on was one in twenty. Also, research reveals, which is like, well, duh, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's also sort of a red flag. It's like, well, okay, research is also a vague term, right? You know, it's not exactly. telling you where the research is right. from, what it's, yeah, or how it was done, or how it was conducted, or under what circumstances. And then as we read the article, we're definitely not, I don't want to say shitting on the author, but I'll, I'll say that. We're not, we're not saying these things about the author because at the end of the day, they do a job. And if they're being published, they're doing it well, which is right. filling in a niche for whatever they need to put into their newspaper, right? Yeah. For whatever reason. So, I mean, he is doing his job doing it, I guess, well for what he's supposed to do, which is an article that's supposed to grab your attention. Yeah. However... So for, we're taking it out of context for the purpose of studying it for taking things out of context. Correct. That's very meta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. What information is missing from from that thing other than, you know, specifics about how the how the data was collected and what it means and why are we focused on this group and not everyone and things like that, you know? Yeah. With the, with the college students. Right. Um, right. Yeah. It's, I guess I have to say the definition of what this disorder is, is a big thing right. because like that saying they have internet gaming disorder. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, is, does it say internet gaming or just a gaming disorder? It says internet gaming disorder. Yeah. Let me just also provide some context. I don't know if you heard the show where I, I mentioned this. In the 11th edition of the uh, International Classification of Diseases, which is put out by the World Health Organization, ICD code 6C51.0, gaming disorder, predominantly online, and then ICD... 
6C51.1 gaming disorder predominantly offline. My question there is what is gaming disorder? Is that an addiction? If it's an addictive type of behavior that's developed. I think that's supposed to be what they're playing at, like an, an addiction or an uncontrollable urge to play video games. Right. But what um, is the difference between that and an uncontrollable urge to gamble or an uncontrollable urge to do anything, right? Right. I have an uncontrollable urge to breathe. Yeah, that's true. And I suppose there are contexts in which gaming uh, obsessively can be considered an addiction mm-hmm. um, and detrimental to somebody. Or but, their or their development, right? Yeah, or their development. Social or otherwise. Yeah, but the thing about addiction is that it hurts people, the people who are responsible for their addiction and the people in their lives outside of it. Right. Um, and I feel like there's very few contexts in which somebody who's got a gaming addiction or who just really enjoys gaming is hurting himself or other people. Right. I mean, typically... They do, they eat, you know, and sleep. And if they don't like do the work that they're supposed to do, they do face real world consequences. Oh, for yeah. It. Like, like uh, as far as snacking, right? If, yeah. they, if they eat a lot of horrible foods for themselves because they're stuck in their chair, that's right. detrimental to them themselves. Or if you call out of work because you want to keep playing online, if you want to yeah. keep playing what was my ex obsessed with, Ark Survival Evolved. Oh, yeah. If you keep calling out of work, you're going to lose your job. And yeah. so for most people, the consequences themselves are enough to stop them from right. this like detrimental behavior. Yeah, and these are all signs that you have a problem, right? Right. These, these are all like little clues like any addiction to be considered a disorder, internet gaming must cause disturbances in daily life, which we are basically, we're talking about. So that's their definition of what this doctor, Dr. Maurice O'Hayan, director of the Stanford Sleep Epidemiology Research Center. There's another piece of information. This person apparently is approaching it from a sleep deprivation perspective. Maybe, maybe. I mean, that's just, you know, a possibility. But if they are working in this sleep research center, maybe that's what they're focusing on. Maybe that's what this thing is focusing on, disrupting their sleep. But, yeah, does that necessarily make it okay to extend that judgment? That maybe somebody who's addicted to gaming has a higher likelihood of um sleeping issues right is, can you extend that can you say well it's a gaming disorder and, and it affects their whole life it's what's giving them anxiety and right. i think there's another part in that article where it talks about some of the symptoms of this gaming disorder as like anxiety worrying distress or something along those lines yeah feeling depressed having social anxiety feeling unrested when they wake up being fatigued <laughs> Yeah. See, I think that's a na- like a, a false correlation being yeah. drawn right there because there are so many things in life that can lead to social anxiety, fatigue, things like that. Like drinking. I mean, that's what I thought of when I thought of what are these things like depression and all these things, how are they associated with? Uh, yeah. Working you know, a minimum wage job can right. also give you all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, going to college, yeah. having family troubles, having relationship troubles. Exactly. It's how you manage those things. That That's the key. 
and maybe people don't know how to manage these things, but I think that that doesn't necessarily single out gaming. Right. right. Yeah. And also they say like social anxiety, having very few friends, being unhappy with social life and suicidal thoughts. Those are pretty much doesn't matter whether you have gaming you know what I mean? The gaming right, is not necessarily involved in that. Yeah, that's more of like depressive behavior right. and, and symptoms of depression. Social isolation. These are, it's, it's also one of those things where it seems like it's a false correlation to me. The other thing that I think of also when I read this was there was a lot of information here, like as far as just not telling me what the study was. Not telling me it was in this study. It's like they just talked to this dude, and then so it's like, yeah, our research shows this. Mm-hmm. Where's your Where's your article? What is yeah. the article that Cite you wrote? Cite your sources. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean, even even if you're a, a doctor or a student who's studying this stuff, you still need to point me towards a source for me to think that you are credible. That right. gives that gives a little bit more, and it also gives me the avenue to check out that source. I mean, if I wanted to do the research like I did on this author, <laughs> which I'm going to say later, I would also want to know, you know, I could, I could look up this doctor's name and maybe find something on the internet, but even that might not be credible. Cause it might just be something he just threw out there. I don't know what the accreditations are. I, you know, it's, it's all things that you have to take into when you're placing a, a value judgment on something is, is the context of the situation. Right. right? Yeah. The phone interviews. So, so right. the there were phone interviews conducted among three thousand American college students between two thousand seven and two thousand fifteen. That is what revealed roughly one in twenty had internet gaming disorder in quotes. A clinical condition defined by compulsive use of electronics, both online and offline. Use of electronics doesn't denote gaming. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. like, you know, everyone in their phone these days is using is using an electronic device. It's right. not it's not Well, especially college students because um a lot of the formats for teaching and for and for homework and learning is online yeah. and using computers or phones. And that's that was starting when I was going to college, right? It was like you had to connect to the server and get all your information or get your class syllabus or whatever. But now it's so much more. Yeah, absolutely. It's everything. Yeah, it's very, very common. This three thousand. Like, how many students do you think they're in your class? Oh, currently, God, probably in in my like in my degree or um, people who are sophomores. I would or, say uh, students who are sophomores. Oh God, maybe like fifteen thousand, twenty thousand. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, so that's if you if you think about that too, three thousand is a very it's a, small, such a small sample size. Yeah, and it's and, and the fact that it's limited to students too is also one of those things where I know people who want to escape their situation by playing games in a, in sort of maybe a, a way that's detrimental to them, but that doesn't mean they're students. Yeah, and, and you know. It's like any other addiction. What does the student part have to do with the situation? It just seems right. like we're trying to blame something. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, that's why I think it's interesting that it's information being printed on a newspaper article because people, I mean, I'm not trying to make a blanket statement that's offensive, but I feel like people who read newspapers are in, not in the same category as people who play video games. Right. And there has always been kind of a classical bias against video games by people who aren't interested in them. Um, sometimes they're like, you know, older people who don't approve of how much video games are played now yeah you know people who say well back in the day we played outside or we went down into the woods you know so anybody who's in a demographic where you don't believe in technology maybe you read newspapers like you're gonna respond to an article in a newspaper that says well you know one in 20 college students has an internet gaming disorder that's gonna right. be really like clickbaity for you it's gonna right. be something that catches your eye confirming your own biases right yeah and then there's another thing later on where it gives me some information about the survey itself which to me goes against every every sort of design when you're designing a survey you want to keep it as simple and concise as possible and the reason you want to do that is because you don't want the focus to be too broad or uh, introduce extraneous sort of a data, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want a huge amount of data you have to sift through. You want as many yes and no questions as possible. Right. Now, the reason you want to do that also, it can be oversimplification of a situation, but it depends on what your viewpoint is and why you're giving the survey or whatever. It's, you know, there are a lot of reasons to give a survey. Right. But in this case, uh, one of the things where they said they were talking about the survey Student interviews lasted about 75 minutes on average. Just 75 minutes. 75 minutes is, and I don't know about you, have you ever been, you've taken tests before that took 75 minutes? Uh, like state exams. <laughs> right. Is there a point at which you're like, I could just get this done and just say whatever I need to say? I mean, yeah. <laughs> just the thought crossing your head, not actually doing it. Right. But But I mean, you know, something that is... Like a survey, it's like, well, how was it delivered? Was it just conducted over the phone and them asking you that's questions? A lot of, that's a lot of time. To yeah. What does the 75 minutes entail? It doesn't even tell you what the questions were. Was it a discussion? Was it you relaying things in your life? Was it something like, you know, they give you when you go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or something where they give you the little survey to see how your depression is, is rating or whatever. And they kind of can make suggestions based on whatever number ranking you get. I mean, right. is it something like that or is it just a talk? It doesn't really give me a lot of information here about the survey itself, which could also provide context. Yeah. One of the other things that, provided context for me about this article is I was curious about what other things he had done. Now, keep in mind, I'm taking this out of context, right? I'm only giving you two or three stories that he did, all which support exactly. my point of view. So you got to be careful with this stuff. But the things that kind of in my head, when I heard or saw these articles, it was just kind of like, okay, head scratcher. Even one that happened probably like last week in US News and World Reports, an article titled, Kids with Autism Find It Tough to Read Hidden Emotions, which is kids with autism are having trouble having autism. 
Yeah. I mean, it doesn't tell me a lot. That story is kind of like, okay, I, I thought that that was a kind of a well-known fact in understanding people with autism. Now, one, I didn't read the article, but that just seems like an odd sort of title for an yeah, article. Yeah, absolutely. One other one that I saw that I did actually read, it was an article entitled, Golf Cart's Use is Spreading as a Danger to Kids. Oh my God, that is ridiculous. Um, where that article is about the increase, and here's the survey. They went to doctors at a hospital, and the doctors at a hospital saw that there had been an increase in the number of children under a certain age being injured by golf carts. Yeah. Um, That's the article. I Are we supposed to take away like golf carts as a menace to society? or I don't know. I would take that more than a video game. <laughs> I would say golfing. I think Eric golfs, so maybe I shouldn't insult golfing. But oh, I think... no, we can definitely insult golfing. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe this guy's won the Pulitzer Prize. I didn't see whether or not he has, but obviously he's selling material because he sold that article last right. week. And, you know, it is, it's like you mentioned before, this is also his job. Yeah. And, um, you know, the fact that he maybe writes articles with vague titles and you know, kind of out of context data. It's not necessarily a reflection on him being a poor researcher right. or even a poor journalist, but it's his job to sell his articles. And like, why Why is it that we can sell articles that are so poorly presenting research right. and drawing these conclusions? It's just or, because that's how like mainstream media absorbs the information now. If If you're writing an article like this, Maybe you're trying to sell your own point, too. You know what I yeah. mean? When I was sent this article, it evoked a reaction. Whether that's a positive reaction or a negative reaction or where that that's developed, it did that. Yeah, right? it did achieve a purpose. Right. It, it did do what it was supposed to do, which was evoke a reaction, which translates probably in the internet world to a click. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Internet traffic. All right. Well, let's not discuss this author's skill <laughs> yeah i've got a question for you that's more directed at actual video games uh, i'm all about it how do you prefer to play your video games what in what social context the context i prefer to play video games is in private or just with my boyfriend i don't do a lot of online gaming i do primarily offline single player gaming mm-hmm role-playing games or simulation games right. um and yeah and that's going to be with a controller in front of a tv or sitting on my bed with my laptop there Gotcha. but i have played games and it's not necessarily a video game but i've played for example dungeons and dragons mm-hmm. online with um friends where we all like hook up hook up on a zoom call uh-huh. one person is obviously like the dm right and then we use like an online application like roll 20 as a as a map to guide our totems, you know, and our little characters. Oh, okay. So that is actually a really interesting context for gaming. Does it take the dice rolling into account too? Does it just like does it do all this stuff automatically, or yeah, is that something that kind of detracts from the whole feeling of playing a role playing game? Is your... I don't think it does. No. No, I mean it uses a random number generator yeah. um, based on the dice that you're trying to roll or the die, I should right. say. 
And I, of course, there's going to be like classical D&D nerds out there who are like, no, you have to have an actual dice. But for the purpose of the game, you really don't. Mm -hmm. You're just trying to get a number for your, you know, your hit points. It's all the same. Do you want to hear my um, Dungeons and Dragons pickup line from back in the uh, back in the 80s? Yeah, lay it on me. All right, check it out. Hey, baby, what's your Thacko? I'm sorry, what now? Hey, baby, what's your Thacko? What does that mean? Thacko? I don't know that. Is first edition uh, up until I think the third is when they changed it, but it's to hit armor class zero. Oh, Thacko. wow. Yeah, um, that I shows how old have, school I am with I Dungeons and Dragons. I have only played fifth edition. Yeah, um, you know. Yeah. They're think, gonna call me a fake, but whatever. No, no, no. I mean, that's the thing too. It's like with with that, it's it's older. It's just you know, just because I played it older than you doesn't make me any yeah. more legit of a Dungeons and Dragons. In fact, I don't. I mean, it has no gen- bearing, really. Well, here's here's the thing. Do you have a do you have a thought about Dungeons and Dragons? You just like to play it. Is it more about the expression? Does it matter if the story is good? Oh no, the the story matters. Yeah. I I love role play, and that's why. That's why I like Dungeons and Dragons. I also mm-hmm. like character creation. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah. I love the like the tactics. But the story absolutely matters. I played a very dissatisfying Dungeons and Dragons game the last campaign that I played. Okay. What yeah. is that? And that is the function of the dungeon master. Yeah. Not doing his thing. But I mean, it maybe some of it had to do with the DM, but a lot of it also has to do with the people you play with. Yes. You have to have a special sort of alchemy to to get that you know that that balance right yeah if not everyone is coming up with a creative solutions or or interacting or is like or yeah, maybe whatever. somebody is like domineering yeah 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 there can be people who dominate the the game and try to make every decision right which is more of what was the case in my last campaign hmm well, it was not fun yeah yeah is that person not going to play in the next campaign then they're not invited to my homebrew campaign, that's for sure. Oh, okay. You 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 make your own? I'm trying to work on one right now, actually. Oh. Um, by homebrew, you mean the campaign itself is the homebrew. You're not talking about like a homebrew uh, RPG, like your own RPG. Um, no, yeah, I'm just talking about like the campaign and like the story. Okay. Do you just play Dungeons & Dragons or do you play other uh, RPGs? Um, that's the only like physical rpg that i play okay. like real world tabletop type thing right i used to play magic the gathering but i'm not very much a fan of that one okay but i other than that i play basic card games you know like um rummy or yeah poker i like to play caravan which we talked about a little bit earlier which is from fallout new vegas right right but those aren't really role-playing right no that's, that's just like those are games those are just games yeah but they are in a tabletop context Exactly. I've got this game over here. I don't know if you can see it. It's um, Trogdor. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Are you familiar with that character, Trogdor? No. Okay. So taken out of context, that means nothing to you. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a character from a web series that I used to watch called Homestar Runner. Homestar Runner was a, a web series that was developed based on a children's book that this person wrote involving a character named Homestar Runner who just loved to run 
and oddly enough, he has no arms. But, <laughs> but anyway, he just loves to run. And then there is the the evil counterpart to him, which is Strong Bad, who's got this lucha libre mask on and wears boxing gloves. Oh, fantastic! And, and the in the story itself, you know, it's kind of like okay, it's a kid's story about it means something. But then, for some reason, he developed it into this web series where the one that I used to listen to all the time was he would answer emails and he would be in front of his keyboard with his boxing gloves and he would use the keyboard Just, with his boxing oh, gloves. Nice. Like that would be the big question that everyone would ask would be, how do you type with his boxing gloves? Right. But anyway, one of the characters that came out of one of these episodes was a character named Trogdor. I will play that for you before you leave tonight. That's a game that is a cooperative game where you're playing against the game itself. So you and I would be playing against the game. That's kind of neat. Yes. Do you do you play any of those tabletop games? Have you played any of those before where it's it's not really about competition between you and someone else. It's about cooperation. You know, nothing comes to mind, although okay. I I don't know if you've ever played the Munchkin games. They're like a a board game that you can play where you fight monsters okay. and collect loot. And that's supposed to model or simulate like an RPG. Right. But it's a little more, it's not necessarily cooperative, but it's also not like PvP. Okay. Um, it's like PvE and then like the winner takes all. Okay. Um, I know Nora is not going to know what PvP and PvE oh, is. So PvP means player versus player and describes a situation where players are competing against each other or being aggressive towards one another. And then PvE stands for player versus environment, where the player is mainly defending themselves from the environment and trying to survive. She loves your explanations of, okay. of video game stuff I from, do try from to the be, last episode. You're I try very, to be concise. Yes, you are. You are very concise. Live action role playing games. Have you ever done any of those before? Any LARPing? I've never done LARPing before, but I think it is like the coolest thing. Yeah? Yeah. What, what's, what's the appeal to you? That people can be themselves um, and do something as silly as pretending to be a medieval knight or any other character of their choice, and nobody is judging them okay. for that. Are you familiar with Evermore Park? No. Evermore Park is a basically an amusement park kind of place in Utah. It's a place where you go to LARP with other people who are there who are playing the roles of all the characters that you interact with. Right. It would be like playing Dungeons and Dragons with a bunch of actors who are playing the roles of every single thing that you interact with. Right? <laughs> yeah. Which sounds kind of cool. What would your thoughts be on going to something like that? I think it would be a ton of fun. Yeah. Absolutely. They incorporate actual games into yeah. the the experience. Like, so they have like, employees essentially that correct, like dress correct. up and help you LARP. But it's not just you and your friends. There's like a a structure, a framework in place. Yeah, yeah. I um, think that's really cool. Yeah, I I, I saw. I think it was a. Um, I want to say it was a BuzzFeed video, and I want to say it was Kelsey and Pichame who did it. But um, she went. I believe she went to this place and did an adventure, but just herself where they had her do go on quests and talk to people and you had to go across the park to this person and find out something from them and then get the components to build whatever your weapon was 
and things like that. And they have like little, for the lack of a better word, mini games, right? right. That you do like axe throwing or like archery or. Have you ever done anything like this? LARPing or, or this sort of experience? No, I haven't. I have friends who do things like go to Ren fairs and things like that, where there is some sort of role playing involved. You're playing a character, but it's not, it's more of an, you're acting. Right. right. It's, it's not like it's not actually a game. It's not actually a role playing game. You're just you're kind of playing a character. Right. There's a difference between role playing and playing a role. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, like when you go to a Renaissance fair, it's you're playing a role and you're saying Doth and, you know, because you're more pretending to be a character, whether that's like a knight or a, a princess. And so you you use all the like statements and catchphrases that right. sound the old timey but yeah. you know you're not responding to a situation you go to ye olde barber shoppy <laughs> yeah exactly you're not into the star wars stuff or are you not not a whole lot okay no. okay i think that that whole star wars attraction that they have where they're kind of trying to blur the lines between an audience participation element and sort of a way that you can interact with them. This kind of fits pretty well in our context, context sensitive or context aware gaming is something like what's going on at the star Wars portion that they have in Disney, where it's a place that you has a limited number of people that go there. And it's an experience where you can ride theme uh, themed rides, Star Wars themed, but also there's a certain kind of way you interact with the environment to lead you to certain places. And if you want to build your own lightsaber, you've got to do a certain number of tasks and they've got things where, I don't know if that here they have it, but they also, they're when they, um, they're making a, a Nintendo world in Japan or whatever. Oh, right. And it's going to have games that you interact with on your phone in the environment that you're As in. As you go along. Playing a game within the park, but it's like, you know, you find these things that can interact with other characters. Like, you know, if you scan a certain code, it's going to make the character do something, or if you press a certain button yeah or if you're in a certain area nintendo has been kind of pioneering that ever since like um amiibos came out oh yeah yeah where you yeah. could just get a little figurine and then you pop it onto your console and it will show up in game yeah which is very cool did you did you ever use those um i did i used them for smash bros mainly okay, okay. um you can also do it with breath of the wild you can get horse amiibos you okay can get special horses in game okay i had Skylanders figures. It was a similar sort of thing where you would have a figure that you put on a pedestal that would basically keep your information from the game on this little figurine. And you could take this figurine with you and take it over to a friend's house. And if you wanted to um, play as this character, all the experience and everything got transferred with the figure. So what the what the little base would do is it would record that information on the, on the bottom. So it was kind of like Amiibos, except it was I think there was some data transfer, right? That a little bit of data storage, right? Do do Amiibos do that too, or is it just kind of? No, I I think it's more of like. I wouldn't say single use because obviously you could load characters into multiple instances of a game, right. but um, it doesn't necessarily store 
like custom information about things your Super Smash Bros character did. Like right. So no, they're more just like special um, add-on customizations. Yeah, there there are a lot of a lot of really cool things that that, that are coming out of Japan that use that kind of thing or cards. There there was also a, a card. I want to say that Square Enix was involved in this, and I can't remember the name of the game. But there is a game where it involves cards, like kind of like magic cards, but they have chips in them. So what you do is you arrange the cards on a little tray in front of a, a screen, and it determines where on the screen within the formation that they are, and they each have different powers. So you select which cards you want to lay on the on the on the little table, and it will represent them on the screen. And then you can move the cards around to move the characters around as you're using the joystick. So basically change the formation and stuff. Right. It is so fascinating, like what they can do with that kind of interactive stuff. That is these neat. Days. Yeah. yeah. One last thing, context aware games. Would you classify yourself as a Nintendo person? Sure. I mean, yeah, because I'm really familiar with the games. Uh-huh. Um and I go way back with Nintendo, right, so why right. not? Have you played any of the Pokemon Go? You know, I did play a little bit of Pokemon Go. Uh-huh. Um, not a whole lot. Okay. I was more into their like um, Game Boy games and such. Okay. Okay. Um, this and this is what like augmented reality games. Are you familiar with augmented reality? Yeah, games? absolutely. I would just describe them as uh, a game or an environment where. It's it's basically projecting something, a game environment into a space that's not. Exactly. Right? Being able to project digital um, games and digital features into the real world and interact right. with it in different ways. Right, exactly. It's a combination of virtual and real world gaming. Right, exactly. I think there are components where when you talk about augmented reality, it's like you're looking through this thing. I saw... An interesting application. You're not into sports, but there was a, an application that I saw uh, that was put out by the NBA, and what it did was you could basically you could generate a door, and that door, when you would walk through it or you'd look through it, you'd see part of a stadium. You walk through the door with holding your device to detect where the door is. And then everywhere you looked, it would be the stadium. And you could see the door back out into the real world. So that was like one of those cool augmented reality kind of things. Where context-aware gaming comes into play, anything that determines your environment based on your location or something in your environment that impacts how the game interacts with you. I mean, you, conceivably, you could have things like a moisture meter on, on a phone and it would yeah. do things differently or altitudes or things like that. It could really um, go far with a survival game. Oh, yeah, you know, definitely. Zombie game. Uh-huh. Not just in a way that's whatever your physical surroundings are or how you're feeling can impact the game. Or, you know, even as simple as like something where you're sweating for a reason and then that impacts something in the game you're playing or just you know you could you could do that you think that is a possible future of 
augmented reality games? Is that where we're going? Are we trying to, even in the virtual environment, is it something where whatever your body or things that are happening or your heartbeat or things, could they impact the game and would that be beneficial or would that just be distracting? No, I think that would be a really good idea. There are so many directions that we are going with VR and AR games. Um, And right now I think those sort of um, body detection devices are mainly being used for like fitness applications. Exactly. You know, where you record data about your heart rate and mm-hmm. or maybe your sleeping patterns or whatever. And they use that to help you know, have more data about yourself and what right. you can do. But could it be translated into an aspect of a game that would certainly be very personalized? I think that would be awesome. It yeah. would be incredibly hard to design, but it would be very cool yeah. and immersive. That has been our show on context. So let's say goodbye to the viewing, viewing, to listening the, to the listeners, to the listeners, also known as Nora. Thank you for listening. My name is Ben. And my name is Cheyenne. Take care. Thanks. Bye.